right. If you're joining us this morning live stream, uh, whether that's our Facebook live page or our website, we're so glad you're joining us today. Anyone that's in the concourse, uh, welcome as well. And I just want to thank all of you that are here live in our 11:15 service now. Thank you for pushing through whatever you had to push through to get here. I mean, I don't know what it was. I, you know, I'm looking at the Adams family with eight kids, nine kids, how many, 12, 13, 14? Uh, but I mean, you, I mean, you got to push through something to get to church. And, and, and thank you for... Uh, being committed to Christ above convenience and ease and, and pushing through to get here today. So uh, thanks for that. Uh, if you have your Bible this morning, turn to Psalm 37. Uh, Psalm 37, Psalms are right in the middle of the Bible. <clears throat> so if you can find the Psalms, we're going to be in Psalm 37 in a minute. We are in a series called When. It's a study in the Psalms, and it's called When because each individual Psalm helps us to understand what we are supposed to do when we encounter a certain life situation. And the life situation we're going to talk about today in Psalm 37 is what do we do when doing what's wrong is more appealing than doing what's right? When doing what's wrong is more appealing than doing what's right. Let's pray together. Lord, we continue to worship you now as we study your word. We, we worship you by surrendering our hearts to the authority of Scripture. We worship you by allowing you to come into our hearts and, and rule and reign. We worship you, Lord, by believing that, that you exist and that you speak to people today and that you're speaking to us. And so, Lord, we, we ask the Holy Spirit would move freely even now as we're gathered here in the name of Christ that the Spirit of God would move on every heart bring comfort, bring encouragement, bring healing, bring deliverance, bring correction, bring conviction. Whatever is necessary, Lord, you know our hearts. Whatever is necessary this morning to take that next step of faith, <clears throat> we pray that you would work it in our lives. And Lord, as, as blessed as we are to gather in community this morning in a safe place, uh, we think of those in the Ukraine this morning struggling wondering if they're going to wake up with a home, wondering if they're going to wake up alive, wondering if they're going to lose a father or a brother or a son. And Father, we ask in Jesus' name that you would extend your hand of mercy over that nation, that you would, in the spiritual realm, Lord, cancel every demonic assignment and intention, purpose of the evil one, to bring uh, harm and destruction and bloodshed to that region. We pray for peace instead. We pray the peace of Christ over that area and that you would protect people. We ask all this in Christ's name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Psalm 37. I love the Psalms. I hope as we go through the Psalms, you are uh, creating a greater love for the Psalms. I love the Psalms because they, they honestly describe uh, the human condition in, in a diversity of ways. Um, and if we're honest, like the Psalms, there, there are, at least if I'm honest, there are times in my life um, where I, I, I kind of envy sinful people. Maybe you do too. We're, we see people, you know, doing things and we're wondering, like, like sometimes secretly, I, you know, I kind of wish I could do that, but I know I can't. Like when we watch movies, movies tell us that having multiple sexual partners or extreme wealth or living a life of partying is, is somehow both fulfilling and without consequence. Like it brings great joy and we're not going to get caught. There's not going to be any, any consequence for that disobedience. Uh, so, so we're left kind of thinking, what, what am I missing? 
What, what am I missing in life by, by being a Christian? And I think Psalm 37 was written in today, uh, today to, to people in lots of different circumstances. I think Psalm 37 was written to college students, Christian students that are gonna go to college. And when they get on campus, they're gonna see other students having sex before marriage. They're gonna see other students drinking and doing drugs. They're gonna see other students cheating on exams or maybe lying to professors. And they're gonna ask the question, why not? What's the big deal? I think it's written for people, Christians that are married, but maybe in a bad marriage, that are asking themselves, why should I stay faithful to this person? I think I would be so much happier with someone else. I think Psalm 37 might be written to a Christian young man living in a culture where profanity is not only accepted, but it's cool. Or maybe it's written to that young single Christian woman that's willing to compromise sexually just to keep the guy she's with. Have you ever asked that question, what's the, what's the advantage of following Christ? What, what's the benefit of godliness? What's the advantage of doing the right thing? Well, that's the question that Psalm 37 answers. Charles Spurgeon said this, he says, there is a joy in holy activity that drives away the rust of discontent. There, there's a joy in holiness. There's a joy in following Christ. There's a joy in doing the right thing. And that's what Psalm 37 talks about. So if you've, if you've ever asked that question, if you're asking that question right now, what's, what's the big deal or what's the difference? And Psalm 37, I hope, speaks loudly to you today. Psalm 37 was written by David, and it was written at the end of his life. And if you remember the life of David, David had been a great king over Israel. The New Testament describes David as a man that was after God's heart. In other words, he, he, he loved God. And yet on the other hand, David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. David had, had murdered her husband Uriah. David had sinned by numbering the people of Israel. I mean, David had blown it at times. David had seen a lot. And at the end of his life, as, as most of us that walk with the Lord for our whole lives, there's a degree of wisdom and understanding that David had. And so David is writing this psalm at the end of his life in his old age. We're not gonna read the whole psalm. There's 40 verses, but we'll read good sections of it. Beginning in verse one, David says, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, which I pray would come soon. I get an amen on that, come on. They soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence or your godliness or holiness radiate like the dawn. When you follow the Lord and choose to live in godliness, there is a a radiance that God causes to explode out of your life that other people see. There's a brilliance to your life that God wants to bring so people in your relational world can see the brilliance of God. And 
the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Don't lose your temper. It leads only to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. The lowly will possess, the lowly or humble will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. Skip down to verse 18. Day by day, the Lord cares or takes care of the innocent, the godly, the pure, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. They will not be disgraced in hard times. Even in famine, they will have more than enough. But the wicked will die or be cut off. The Lord's enemies are like flowers in a field. They will disappear like smoke. The wicked borrow and never repay, but the godly are generous givers. Those the Lord blesses will possess the land, but those he curses will die. The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. David says in verse 25, Once I was young, but now I'm old. Yet I've never seen the godly abandoned or forsaken by God, or their children having to beg for, beg for bread. The godly always gives generous loans to others, and their children are a blessing. Skip down to verse 37. Look at those who are honest and good, for a wonderful future awaits those who love peace. But the rebellious will be destroyed. They have no future. The Lord rescues the godly. He is their fortress in times of trouble. The Lord helps them, rescuing them from the wicked. He saves them. They find shelter in him. David says in Psalm 37 that we don't need to be concerned about, we don't need to be jealous of or angry at sinful people. Because David wants us to understand one thing about evil. Evil is deceptive. Evil is deceptive. Let's look in verses 1, 2, and 10. He says, don't worry about the wicked or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. Evil is deceptive in that it creates an image that isn't accurate. One of the things we we are deceived about with sinfulness in life is that they'll never get caught. It'll never come to an end. They just seem to be able to do that with no consequence. But David says the wicked will be cut off. There there is an end. There is a moment when all of that sin gets exposed. But, But I think the greater deception is in the fact that evil looks fulfilling. Evil looks like it's life-giving. It gives us us joy. And that's why David describes it as a flower. See, flowers initially, the flowers of the field are beautiful. They have life, don't they? And when you compare that to a person, it's like the person that's involved initially in sinfulness, there's a a sense of life, there's a sense of, of joy and happiness, but... It's a dying flower. All sinfulness in life is like a dying flower. While on the front end, as you make an investment, there might be some immediate 
joy or happiness or fulfillment, it fades, and it fades quickly. Uh, in other words, um, and I can tell you from experience, a life of partying is a dying flower. So when I was in college, I recommitted my life to Christ after a few years of sinful relationships with girls, doing drugs, and doing alcohol. Um, I can tell you that, that there, there wasn't um, a great return uh, on that. And yet I walked in that for, for a number of years. And when I, when I got to college, I recommitted my life to Christ. And at that time, the Lord said, just stop dating. I, I don't want you to date for a season. I want you just to grow in your relationship with me. Don't worry about girls right now. Just, just lay that aside. And so I did that. And I had, a, I had a friend that was a youth pastor that played the guitar really well, sang really well, and we would get together and we'd just worship God. Like we just just sing songs. That was kind of what we, how we hung out together. We just, just worshiped the Lord. It was awesome. And so I asked my friend Steve, I said, Steve, could you teach me how to play the guitar? I would love to be able to like sing and worship on my own. And he said, sure. So I, he, he took me to a, a pawn shop and I bought an old guitar and, and then he, he taught me how to play it. And I could, I could actually play a few chords and, and he gave me some worship songs and I began to, to, to play worship music and songs. The problem was I didn't know how to tune the guitar. So it didn't take long for that, that guitar to sound really sour. And I didn't sing really well either. So I probably sang in the same tune as the untuned guitar, <laughs> essentially, is probably what happened. And I would literally do that for hours. I would sing and I think the angels had to have earplugs as they listened to my voice and the untuned guitar. But, but I, began to, I began to experience a new joy. I began to experience a, a life apart from the sinful life that I lived before. And that, that God in does, does in fact provide a greater joy in life. There is a joy in holiness that's different than the pleasures of the world. And when we say no to the pleasures of this life, God gives us a joy that's beyond what we can experience. And so I found that inappropriate relationships in dating, and I found that, that partying is a dying flower. It's fading fast. And while you may look at people that are in that kind of lifestyle and think, wow, that's really a fulfilling lifestyle, the Bible says it's not. And that just becomes a cover-up for really a lack of joy and a lack of fulfillment in people's lives. So David says deception, uh, evil is deceptive. It makes you think that it's something that it's not. So we come back to the question, what's the advantage of godliness? What's the benefit of doing what's right? And if you've ever asked that question or ever thought that or you're thinking that right now, I wanna encourage you from Psalm 37 with four things. The first is this, when we, when we choose godliness, we experience God's power. When we choose godliness, David says we experience God's power. Verses three through five says this. Trust in the Lord and do good. Live in the land and cultivate or feed on God's faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust also in him and he will do it. Trust in the Lord and do good. Do what's right. Live a, a godly life. Live in the land and cultivate or feed on God's faithfulness. That's, 
That's farming language. It's agricultural language. David is saying that, that if you live a godly life, there is a, a harvest of blessing and power that God brings in your life that's different from the world, and I just explained that with my life. I discovered a new joy. I discovered a power of joy that I had never discovered before. The world couldn't give me that. David says, do what's right, trust in the Lord, Lord, and feed on the faithfulness of God. Feed on the goodness of God. Feed on this intimate relationship that you have with God. Feed on the, the fruit of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's, it's gonna give you the power of joy that you've never experienced before. The second thing David says concerning, we see his power is he says, God will answer your prayers. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. The desires of your heart are those things that you're, you're longing for, the things that you're desiring. And this verse doesn't mean that you can ask for any old thing that you want and God will do it no matter what. What it means is the more you grow in Christ and the, the closer you grow to God, your heart is gonna be closer to his and the things that you ask are gonna be more in line with his plan. And God just delights to give you the things that are gonna help you in your walk with him. I don't know about you, but when my kids graduated from Knucklehead University, when they finally graduated from that and began to make really good decisions, I was so thrilled, I just wanted to give them stuff. <laughs> like I just wanted to bless them because I'm like, I'm so proud of you, so proud of you making that decision, so proud of you not doing that and doing this and I just wanted to bless them and it's no different with your heavenly father. When you begin to delight yourself in the Lord, when you begin to live the life that God intends for you, he wants to bless you. Just like a parent that's like, good job, way to go, nice call, good decision. I'm so pleased, I just, I just wanna affirm my pleasure in your life. When you delight yourself in the Lord, you begin to see supernatural, miraculous answers to prayer because God wants to confirm his pleasure in what you're doing. So there's answers to prayer that God began. And then God said, uh, David says in verse 19, he says this. They, the godly, will, will not be disgraced even in hard times. Even in famine, they'll have more than enough. Why, what's the advantage of godliness? What's the advantage of putting God first? And if I haven't said this already, let me say it now. Godliness is not perfection. Godliness is simply a commitment to put God at the center of your life and to live for him. You're gonna make mistakes, we all make mistakes. But it's this ongoing commitment to living in a way that God wants you to live. And David says, when you, when you make that commitment, even in famine, even in the most difficult times of your life, God is going to provide more than you need, more than enough. God is faithful to walk you through the most difficult times in life and supply everything you need. When you're on that college campus and, and, you're, and you're lonely and, and you, you don't know what to do, God says, I will provide everything that you need. I will be everything that you need in your life. When you don't have the finances, you're going through a really tight or difficult place in your life, God says, I will, I will give you more than enough as you continue to commit your life to me. That's one of the advantages of, of the godly as we see the power of God, we experience it. The second thing is we experience the peace of God. We experience God's peace in our life. Verse 11 says this, the lowly or the humble or the godly will possess the land and will live in peace, that's the Hebrew word shalom, and prosperity. A better translation of that is the, the lowly or humble will possess the land and live in abundant shalom. 
That's, that's the more accurate rendering of that verse. They, they will live in abundant shalom. Now, shalom, when it's, when it's translated in our English Bibles, usually is translated with peace, the word peace. But peace doesn't quite do justice to the concept of shalom. Shalom was one of the most sacred words and still is to the Jewish people. It's used over 250 times in the Old Testament. And the word shalom means, it means fullness or wholeness or completion or health. It means that, that God wants to bring you to a place of fullness in your life. It's not just the absence of strife. It's not just the absence of anxiety in your heart. It's, it's fullness of life. It's bringing your life to completion in your life. It has the, it has the idea of, of mental and emotional and physical and social care or well-being. In a day and age when people are really struggling with mental health, God promises to the godly abundant shalom, amen? Mental health, mental wholeness. He promises to, to bring wholeness to your broken emotion. He, he promises to bring, to bring wholeness to your, your broken life, whether that's relationally, in your family. The Jews use the word shalom as a greeting, either a greeting, hello, or goodbye but it means so much more than that. When, when, when the Jews use the word shalom in, in, in a greeting, it's literally, may the Lord fill you with blessings that will make your life full. It's a little more than high and by, right? Try saying that next time. Someone says, hi, say hi. May the Lord drop blessings in your life that make you full and complete. That's what the word shalom means. And, and, and the shalom that God talks about for the godly is not promised to the wicked. In fact, Isaiah 57, 21 says that there is no shalom, says God, for the wicked. This is a promise to the godly. This is a promise to God's people, those that have, have set their hearts on him. God says, I, I will give you abundant. You will live in the land. You will live in abundant shalom. The peace, the wholeness, the fullness of God. And I don't know where you are today. I don't, I don't know what's going on in your life. I, yesterday was the, the third year anniversary of the death of my nephew, Billy. Many of you prayed for Billy before he died. And so just, just watching my, my brother-in-law and sister-in-law and my niece walk through that grieving process, walk through that difficult process of absolute brokenness, absolute brokenness emotionally. And, and to see the the grace of God, to see the, the shalom of God put that back together, to see the shalom of God bring healing and wholeness to their lives. Just three years later, is there still pain? Yes, there's still pain. But have they walked through this and come through it in a more complete and whole way as they see it through the eyes of God and have been ministered to by the shalom of Yahweh? Yes, they are better people, more whole people as they've walked through the fire, but God has worked his abundant shalom in their life. Why is living a godly life worth it? Because God gives us the abundance of his peace. We not only experience his peace, but we experience his plan. We experience God's plan in our life. Verses 17, 18, 23, and 24 says, for the strength of the wicked will be shattered, but the Lord takes care of the godly. 
Day by day, the Lord takes care of the innocent, the righteous, and they will receive an inheritance that lasts forever. Maybe you've heard verse 23 before. The Lord directs or orders the steps of the godly. How many of you have heard that verse before? The Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. Though they stumble, they will, they will never fall, for the Lord holds them by the hand. Notice it says the Lord directs the steps of the godly person. That promise is not true for the ungodly. It begins by saying day by day, that just means continually, regularly, always. The Lord is concerned about and cares for the daily needs of his people. God is concerned about the details, the, the, the small details and the big details of your life. Students, he's concerned about the test you're worried about this week. He's concerned with you about the class you, you think you're gonna fail. He's, he's concerned about your relationships at school. He's concerned and cares about the drama that you're experiencing with your friends. He cares. He's invested in that. He, he cares about your health mentally, emotionally, physically. He cares about your oikos. He cares about your relational world. He cares about the people that you love that he said in your life. He cares about your children. He cares about you and the stress that you feel over your children. He cares about the deep hurts that you walk with every day. He cares about the anxiety and the tension and the depression that you experience. He cares about every detail of your life. That's the promise to the godly. He cares. And day by day, he invests himself in those in those details for the godly. And then it says, let's put that, that scripture back up. It says that he, he directs or orders the steps, establishes the steps of the godly. That, that word for order or establishes is, is a word that was used in the Hebrew to describe when a person would, would put their hand on a, a staff or a walking stick and, and it would bring stability to them. The, the Lord brings stability to our lives, to our steps. The Lord stabilizes us, but it means more than that. It means that as you walk through life, the, the Lord directs, orders, or guides, or establishes your steps. In other words, even when you can't see it, God is guiding you according to his plan and his purpose. See, when you get older and really old like me, you look back on your life and you look back on the journey that God had you through and you go, oh, that's why that happened. Oh, that's why I went through that part of the journey. When you're in the journey, you're like, this stinks. I don't want anything to do with that. And then you see the hand of God that he was ordering and directing your steps to bring your life to where it is today for the purpose that he had. Even when you don't know it and I don't know it, he is guiding you and leading you according to his purpose. Amen? What a wonderful God that we don't even understand. We would have chosen a different path for our life. We would have taken a different road. And God was lovingly and sovereignly guiding us along the path of his purpose even when we didn't see it and couldn't fully understand it. He brings stability to our lives. As we walk through that verse, he says he, he, he delights in every detail of our lives and even though they stumble, they will never fall or be destroyed because the Lord holds them by the hand. So we're walking with the Lord through life. The Lord brings stability and encouragement to our lives and there's moments that we fail. Whether it's a moral failure, whatever type of failure it is. And because the Lord is holding us by the hand, the godly, it doesn't destroy us. It doesn't ruin us. It doesn't, 
It doesn't disqualify us from his purpose because he's holding us by the hand. So we don't, we don't get hurled headlong. We don't get destroyed by failure. In fact, God causes failure to make us stronger. God turns failure around to make us more effective because he's holding us by the hand. So if you've been through a moral failure, you've been through, through some type of failure, the Lord's held your hand through that. As you continue to seek him and walk with him, he's gonna strengthen you through that difficult time. What's the advantage of doing what's right? What's the advantage of a godly life? What's the advantage of holiness in the life of the believer? I think we experience God's power in a fresh way. I think we experience the shalom, the, the, the wholeness that God intends for us in, in a new way, in a powerful way. I think joy becomes more real to us than ever before. And I think we, we recognize that God has a purpose and a plan for our lives and he's bringing it about as we continue to walk with him. And there's one more thing I wanna say, I think in this Psalm that, that David brings up. And that is that godliness influences our posterity. Now posterity means your children or your descendants. And last service, I said, yeah, that's kind of a weird word, you know, why did I use it? I said, I, I, I needed a pee. <laughs> and everyone thought I said I needed to pee. <laughs> and they're, they're laughing just like you are. And I'm thinking, oh, they're laughing with me, I needed a pee. They're like, no, we're laughing at you, Jeff, for what you just, what you just said. Posterity is, is, is the, the, the descendants, the children that, that follow you. And, and David is gonna share now a principle. It's a principle and every principle has exceptions. So there are exceptions to the principle that we're gonna talk about. But it's generally true. For the most part, this is going to happen. For, for the mo most part, you can count on this even though there's exceptions to this principle. And the principle is this, our commitment to godly living profoundly affects our children and our descendants. So parents, I'm gonna to speak to you for just a moment as we close. Your commitment to live a godly life significantly shapes your children, significantly determines how your children turn out and what they turn out to be. And I say it again, godliness is not perfection. And there's grace when we make mistakes, but godliness is a commitment to put God first in your life. Let's read some scriptures, verses 25 to 26 and 28. David says, I was once young, now I'm old, but I've never seen the godly abandoned or their children begging for bread. I've never, I've never seen people that have given their lives to God where God didn't provide for their needs and they, their children actually had to go out and beg because God was faithful. The godly always give generous loans to others and their children are a blessing. How about that for a promise? How many of you want your children to be a blessing? Not just to be blessed, but to become a blessing to others. For the Lord loves justice and will never abandon the godly. He will keep them safe forever, but not so the children of the wicked. They'll be cut off. Now, now David is making a comparison there between the children of the godly and the children of the wicked. The, 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 the children of people that put God first and the, and the children of people that don't. And there's, there's a distinct difference in the fruit of those two lives. Those that put God at the center seek to live godly lives and how that affects their children versus those that don't want anything to do with God and keep him away from their lives. Proverbs chapter 20 verse seven says, the godly walk with integrity. How blessed are their children after them. The power of integrity. And then Psalm 112 verses one and two. 
Praise the Lord. How joyful are those who fear the Lord and delight in, his, in obeying his commands. The, their children will be successful everywhere. An entire generation of godly people will be blessed. What is David saying in all of this? Your commitment to living a godly life as parents profoundly affects your kids. Uses language like success for your children, blessings for your children, for in, the, in the case of those who are godly. One of the things that's mentioned there is that if we are generous and live for others, our kids tend to follow. If you live a generous lifestyle, your kids will tend to follow that, and that's been true in my life and in my wife's life. So we've been in the ministry ever since we were married, and our kids grew up with a dad as a pastor and a mom that was significantly involved in church, and we just continually gave our lives away. We serve the people of the church, usually first ones there, last ones to leave. This is in no way bragging about anything. It's, it's making a point related to the text. We would, we would go on Thanksgiving and other holidays to soup kitchens and we'd feed the poor. And now my kids do the same thing. My kids are all in vocations where they're serving people. They're trying to help people and make them better. Because that standard that Shirlene and I established in our lives of we are here on the earth to help others, we are here on the earth to give our lives away, became natural to them. It became part of who they were. They didn't have to think twice about what's the purpose of my life. It's to serve those around me. Integrity and honesty are usually reproduced in our children, especially when it costs you something. Your, your children will watch you when they know whether you're telling the truth about something or you're lying about something. And if you're willing to tell, your, tell the truth in situations that may not benefit you and your children see that, it produces a great harvest in their lives. They see that even when it costs dad something for being honest or telling the truth about something, he still walked that path. That must be valuable. That must be important. And they tend to reproduce that in their lives. Conversely, so is dishonesty and selfishness and hypocrisy. That tends to get reproduced in the lives of our children. A healthy marriage affects our children in a positive way. An unhealthy marriage or divorce affects them adversely, emotionally and in a lot of other areas. The data is there. If parents teach their children the ways of the Lord, they usually follow them when they get older. You know the verse, right? Proverbs 26. What does it say? Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he won't depart from it. That's a powerful verse, isn't it? That when we, that when we teach our kids the things of God, when we put God first and teach them the importance of that. But, but that word train doesn't just mean talk about. It doesn't just mean instruct. It doesn't just mean get the Bible out and teach them truths. It's, it's both instruction and example. I teach it and I live it. I tell them what God wants in a life and then I show them how to do that. And when you train your children in the ways of the Lord by teaching and modeling, guess what happens? When they get old, they usually follow it. That's the general principle of Scripture lovingly disciplining them instead of withholding discipline in order for them to like you doesn't produce what you think it will. You do that because you want your kids to like you. The Bible says they will actually hate you 
if you don't discipline them. They will love you if you discipline them and set boundaries in their lives. Discipline has a profound effect on our children's outcome. Godliness and wickedness does in some way get reproduced in our lives. Five times in this verse, in, in this psalm, David talks about the godly inheriting land. What does that mean? Land was the means through which an agricultural society earned a living. It was how they made money. And in Jewish culture, the land that was theirs, that was given to them, they would pass that on to their children, who would pass that on to their children and so on. It was a generational blessing. It was a generational means of life and support that you pass on. And that's there because, like it or not, mom and dad, we pass on generational things to our kids. We either pass on generational blessings or generational curses. I've seen it over and over in my family. My, my mom had four brothers and four sisters. My dad had two brothers and three sisters. And I can, I can, I can trace the, the brothers and sisters that didn't walk with God. And I can see their kids. In almost every case, I can see whether there was a generational blessing handed down or a generational curse. And so, Mom and Dad, we have a choice. One of the, one of the, the blessings of godliness, a godly marriage, and a godly life is that it profoundly blesses your kids and your grandkids. Would you stand with me this morning? Parents, next time we think about doing something that's wrong, can I encourage you, instead of asking the question, how will this negatively affect me? Ask the question, how will this negatively affect my kids? Because it probably will. Is there an area in your life of compromise today? An area of living that, that isn't godly? It's not holy and it's not pure. Can I just challenge you today to consider the benefits of living a life sold out to God, a life given over to Him, a godly life? Psalm 37 tells us the blessings of godliness. We're going to pray and close, and there's going to be some folks up here to pray with you. If you have, if you have any prayer needs this morning, you want to get something off your heart or have someone agree with you today in prayer, they'll pray with you. And as you exit this morning, there are going to be some folks receiving a benevolent offering that goes to people in our church and outside our church that just need some financial help. Let's pray this morning. Lord, if we're honest this morning, like the psalmist, there are times when maybe we are angry at or jealous of sinful people. Help us to realize today that evil is deceptive. It's a dying flower. Lord, I pray this morning that as we go through this week, we would be mindful of the joys of holy living, the power that you demonstrate in our lives, the peace and shalom that you bring to the godly, the fact that, that you establish your purpose in our lives. Help us to be mindful, Lord, of all of the benefits of godliness. In Christ's name, amen.